this episode of the Naturist Living Show, New Geocaching. This episode of the Naturist Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca Welcome, dear listener, to the 66th episode of the Naturist Living Show. It's April 2014. My name is Stéphane Deschaines, and I am your host for this podcast and the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. And this is the, the most exciting time of the year. It's spring, and after a long, cold winter here in Ontario, um, the grass is turning green. Uh, we are very active at the park, getting everything ready. The, every day that the sun is out and the temperature is on the warmish side, and I say that uh, almost uh, you know with quotes, air quotes here, because in uh, if this temperature was in uh, August, everybody would be hiding. But now, if you just get a fifteen degrees and sunny, everybody thinks it's hot and it's time to come to the park, and it's great to see everybody so excited, uh, so full of energy, enthusiasm. Uh, People are like little kids, you know, little kids, like when you're little and you ripped off all your clothes and you ran around in the backyard naked, giggling and laughing. That's that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that I'm seeing in people this time of year and, and feeling myself. And it's it's a lot of fun to get things started. So I've talked many times in the past about how there's no problem attracting youth in naturism. Um, I wrote, I did two episodes, two podcasts uh, that address this, the topic, one specifically on youth and naturism and how to attract them, and, uh, because we don't have any problem at Bear Oaks attracting youth. And uh, I'll put a link to that uh, episode in the show notes uh, if you're interested uh, in hearing that one because you've never caught it before. And, uh, you know, one of the things I said is you, you need to hire young people. Part of it is because I do think it's our duty uh, as business owners and employers to uh, give youth the training in the summer during their, their school break that they're looking for, um, the experience that they need. I really do think that. Um, I, I, you know, we're all part of the same society. And uh, if they're not going to get in the summer from, especially from those of us who have seasonal businesses that specifically hire short-term people during the time that kids are off, then who's going to do it? So we hire young people. you got to anyway. Um, often it's the uh, children, the teenagers, uh, the youth of, uh, of some, of our, some of our members, uh, the ones who sometimes have grown up there, but not always. Um, and uh, this year, the funny thing, uh, we, we tend to, we attract members from far and wide. Um, and uh, we often, so the youth are staying with us for the summer because it's like a summer camp and it's far too far for them to travel. The, this essentially non-existent transit to go to Bear Oaks because we're in a rural area. There is a sum, but it doesn't really count. Um, 
young people often don't drive, don't have driver's licenses, and, and even if they do, they don't have a car. Um, so, so they stay, and especially if they're coming from far away. But we did hire one young lady this year, uh, Alyssa, who is the daughter of one of our members who lives nearby, which has been handy because in the uh, off-season, she's been able to work weekends as well. But, you know, she likes naturism, she believes in it, and so she's talked about it in um, her high school. And she's told her friends, and she loves her jobs, and she loves naturism. So her friends obviously think it's pretty cool. Some have visited her in the past at the park. But this year, uh, one of them, uh, Ashley, called me and applied for a job. And she called me early enough um, that uh, I was able to do it. Um, I did want to interview her. She'd never been to the park. <laughs> I needed to make sure that she was okay and comfortable. But And she was, and she absolutely loves it. And then a I don't know, a few weeks or a month or so later, I get another call from um, Justine, who's never tried naturism and is also really interested in the job. And uh, so I took a minute because Justine started not very long ago to ask her what uh, she thinks of all this. So it's your first day, first day working at Bear Oaks. How is it? Uh, It's kind of slow today, to be honest. And it's only your second day as a naturist. Yes. You've never been in a naturist social nudity situation before? Nope. So was that hard? Not really. It was actually surprisingly comfortable. And what made you decide you wanted to try this? Well, for lack of a better term, I don't like wearing clothes. I never have, like at all. So when I found out from Ashley and Alyssa about this, I thought it'd be a cool idea. And now I'm working here. Was it what you expected? Yeah, pretty much. Just really slow. Hopefully things pick up soon rather than later. Well, it is still kind of cool outside and we don't have a lot of customers. Yeah. What are your expectations for the rest of the year for the summer? Uh, Preferably full-time because I do nothing other than sit at the beach all day and I don't like tan lines. So I'm hoping to not get tan lines this year because I'll be working here. And uh, what did uh, your friends, boyfriends, parents think of all this? Mom's a little weirded out by it. My grandmother has pretty much disowned me. My boyfriend doesn't really care because he knows nothing bad's going to happen. And as far as my friends are concerned, they, they, most of them looked at me and were like, yeah, I, I kind of figured. So the fact that your job involves working without any clothes on didn't seem that unusual for them? I have mainly guy friends, so no, it wasn't that unusual for them. Most of them got a kick out of it and told me that they wanted to come see me at work. So you see, we now have three teenagers, 16, 17, from a high school nearby who just love what they do. Um, in two of the cases, the parents aren't members, but obviously are comfortable enough with the situation. They've read the website. They've, uh, in one case, they've been there, um, and one other case, I've met the mother. Um, you know, it's if you don't, you know, if you don't provide them jobs, then of course they'll go and find a job somewhere else. If they're busy working somewhere else, they'll never be at the park, even if they are the children of your members. And uh, if they are working at the park, and then they'll tell their friends, and then their friends may come because they find it interesting. If they, anybody who loves naturism. Um, and I assume if you are one, you do, talks about it so glowingly and so positively, it can't help but pique your curiosity of others. So 
if you want to attract youth, you need to get other youth to talk positively about it. Because the last thing that uh, a young person will want to do is listen to the advice or suggestion of some of an adult, of somebody who is much older than them. They need to hear it from their peers. Um, one of the things you heard from Justine, which is interesting, is there's a note of um, rebellion in doing this. Um, and that's the other thing about teens. We lose some because they rebel against their parents. The last thing you want to do is do the same thing your parents do when you're a teenager. You want to be different. And some choose naturism. Not all of them do. There are some that stay and they rebel in other ways. Um, some choose, though, to rebel against naturism, and that's why they leave. But then on the other hand, if you're doing it right, some will come because they're rebelling. And personally, I think if you're teenagers are going to rebel by uh, becoming naturist, that's probably one of the best type of rebellions you can imagine, uh, as opposed to other things that they could do to get themselves into trouble. And it's always important to remember that when you're trying to attract anybody to naturism, you will never reach all of them. You will never get 100% convinced, at least not in my lifetime. Um, in fact, you will never get probably 10%. Um, it's, it's a niche market at this point, and it is going to be for the foreseeable future. So whether you're talking about older people, uh, middle-aged people, young adults, or teenagers and youth, you can't expect to ever attract more than a very small percentage. But that's okay. That's the people you're going after. There is a show that um, I referred to in the past called DNTO. It's on CBC Radio, and longtime listeners know that I'm a big fan of the programming on CBC Radio. Um, DNTO stands for Definitely Not the Opera, um, which I assume is kind of tongue-in-cheek. They do all kinds of reporting on all kinds of different societal trends. And uh, I want to thank Jim, who sent me the link uh, to listen to the latest show, because not only is it on the radio, but they have uh, podcasts you can download and listen to from anywhere. There will, of course, be a link in the show notes to this podcast. This podcast is called Taking It Off, What Did You Expose by Stripping? And by stripping, they mean all kinds of different things about stripping, topless, nude, and stripping other things that makes you feel naked, if you will. Um, and naked by that term, they often mean vulnerable or exposed. And it's interesting, a whole bunch of people's stories, a whole bunch of people's stories that really, if you're listening to it from a nature standpoint, understanding gymnophobia and uh, understanding um, all the issues we have with the body that we've discussed and the the, the the ideals behind ethical naturism that I've talked about so much. When you listen from with that filter, you hear within the stories that sometimes people are just talking as if you know. Of course, I felt that way. You see the issues, you see the problems, you hear that what what they're having uh, as uh, how it manifests itself in their daily lives and their reactions to these situations that they've been thrown into. But one of the more interesting ones to me was uh, there was uh, an interview with Patricia Pearson. You may remember her because uh, last August um, I mentioned an article she wrote for Reader's Digest Best Health magazine on her visit to Bear Oaks. And uh, she reflects on her visit that she had to do in order to 
write this article because she had never tried it, but she did participate. Now, like a lot of middle-aged women, Patricia Pearson had retired her bikini a long time ago. But then her editor at Best Health magazine asked her to report on a nudist colony in Markham, Ontario. And my immediate reaction was, absolutely not. I'd rather be stuck in an elevator with bees. I would rather crawl across glass. I just, no, I hung up on her practically. And then I started to think about it, and I thought, wow, that, you know, there's something almost irresistible about um, exploring such a strange Alice in Wonderland universe for me, because I've never been comfortable with nudity. Um, What's involved in being somebody who feels it's appropriate to walk around completely naked? What does that look like? And... You know, I would say that it was an important thing for me to explore because I'd gotten to that stage in my life as a woman where I had begun to feel kind of physically invisible and sort of had lost that sort of sexual pull that you're used to having as a younger woman. I didn't know how to position my body in the world anymore. You know, what, what, what's my magnetism now? Um, and so when you go into an environment where you realize that being invisible is not making you invisible, that it's actually irrelevant um, because they're more interested in your identity and what you have to say and your jokes and your charm. Um, It kind of neutralizes that question and you realize that you can be a visible person. A great summary, particularly from a a non-naturist, from a first-timer. And uh, I'm glad I was able to provide her with a positive first experience. She wrote a great article, as I said, last August. And I'll put a link again in the show notes uh, if you're interested in reading the article. Hi, Felicity. Hi, Stefan. So I read that you guys are, that it's a go. You've got the place ready. You're having your first naturist event at the spot. What's it called again? Terlam. Terlam. How do you spell yes. that? Uh, the full name is actually Terlam Women's Wellness. Uh, Terlam is T-E-R-L-A-M. Well, actually, you know, the name actually uh, brings up a point. I got an email from Fred, um, and he said, well, I'll just read it to you. He says, while listening to your conversation with Felicity in episode uh, 65, you discussed using gender equality laws to compel yoga studios to allow women to participate top free. That was an aside to the discussion of Felicity being a co-owner of Terlam Women's Wellness Spa, which is for women only most times for women only most times of the week. Although I love to see the cause of naturism and gender equally advanced, this seems inconsistent. Outright disallowing male membership in a club would seem more discriminatory than gender than specifying gender specific dress codes. So, what do you want to say about that? Uh, but we're actually not. Um, discriminating in that way for naturist events. We bought this facility as a women-only facility, and that's what it's been for the last, at least the last uh, almost 20 years. Um, So what we're doing is we're going to continue operating it as a women's facility during the week, and it already has, you know, already has a membership, um, and so we want to keep up the income until we can make enough money through naturist events and, and naturist days 
and eventually we'll turn it into like a full-time nature's facility, but it'll be co-ed. It won't be women only. Okay. All right. So it's just, it's the reality of the finances that makes you keep going that way. Yeah. And, um, we also like, we were talking to Joshua and we were also talking about how we kind of want to show how, you know, it's hard to just open up like a nudist business and succeed in that way. Yeah. And so this is a way for us to kind of transition and we hope to like even um while it is a women only facility, we hope to even introduce them to using the spa as a clothing optional area and make it in a way that it doesn't even make sense to wear a bathing suit. You know, we're gonna have like a body scrub area and it just won't make any sense and um we expect like some of the women will leave but a lot of the women will, you know, they'll just adapt, hopefully, and 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 enjoy the comfort of of enjoying it without clothing. Yeah, and you know, for a, I took over a club. Um, well, that had begun a transition to being a nature's club. It was at one point a nature's nudist club, then became textile, and then for a while it was a gay club. And uh, a lot of the people who were members of the gay clubs. It weren't naturists or nudists, but they stayed and they thought it was all right. Some left, but you know, you, that's one way you always get some converts, right? Right, yeah. And so how's it going? What's the status right now? Uh, well, we're actually going to be doing our first naturist event on this Sunday, on May 4th. And ah. it's co-ed, it's open to all genders, and we're opening up for, the whole, for almost the whole day from 2 p.m. to 9 p.m. 2 p.m. to 9 p.m. So is that cutting into the traditional... Uh, spa business? No, we're before? actually we're doing it after hours. Um, the spa usually closes at one at twelve twelve or one on Sundays. Okay, all right, and so, so yeah, and, so we're not changing the regular hours, and um, it'll be after after that. So it's all it's all. Is there a cost? Yeah, um, it's actually we. We have a bunch of packages, package deals that people can get if they buy like 10 or, or 20 visits at a time. Um, but we have, I'd have to bring up the rates because we have it all split up. But, um, and we also have discount for YNA members who are 29 and under and also for any adults who are 25 and under um, can get the, the most discounted rate. So it ranges from like $25 to $35 basically for a single visit. And when – so you're, are you doing this just this Sunday or is it every Sunday? Uh, no, it's going to be every Sunday um, starting on May 4th. Every single weekend is Sunday will be Nature's Day. And so what can you do on Nature's Day? So come in, enjoy the facilities, you know, the pool, um, the whirlpool, the sauna. They can exercise. They can use all the exercise equipment. Um and I think we're going to have massage also available. And we're also looking to get some yoga instructor to come in to do a yoga class ah, on a regular basis. Yeah, Excellent. And so how's it going to work? Is it going to be clothing optional, some areas nude only? How's it going to work? Yeah, the uh, the spa area, like the, the pool and the sauna and hot tub, those are going to be nudity mandatory. Okay. Yeah. And the other areas is clothing optional? And yeah, basically people could wear something if they want in the gym. Okay. Some women like to wear sports bras, so I guess that kind of works. <laughs> <laughs> I don't so, see the need for them, but, you know, I understand. <laughs> and so can you spend the whole day there, you think? Yeah. 
I think so. Uh, especially more so when we have activities going. Um, you know, there's all kinds of activities we can get going there. We can have workshops. It's 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 a 6,800 square foot space, so it's pretty big. And um, and we'll see what kind of stuff we can host there. Okay. Any food? Food and drinks? Um, not right now. We're we're in the process of acquiring some vending machines to at least offer some snacks. Um, from those and but there are a bunch of restaurants it's located in a strip mall so there are a whole bunch of restaurants like right next door there's like chinese food and pizza and a, a deli and what's um have you announced it to the regular membership yes and what, um, what kind of reactions did you get people are excited good yeah they they were excited to see it happen so quickly after we talked about the naturist oasis on the podcast and um I'm like, yeah, you know, we didn't think it would happen that quickly, but everything just kind of fell together. So um, people are excited and and excited for our, and, and congratulating us. That's great. But I, when I'm in membership, I'm in membership of the uh, the, the the textile spa people. Oh, uh, yeah, the the yeah. yeah. Um, the the members, the current members of the gym, are not aware of this yet. Okay. Um. Joshua told the employees who I think were kind of apprehensive about it at first and and then you know they talked about it and now they're excited actually. Oh, so they're going to be working. Um they will not be working on Sundays as far as I know. Um we actually our YNA is going to be hosting it and then eventually we're going to hire somebody to always be there on Sundays because we have so much other stuff going on this summer that um, Jordan and I can't be there every Sunday and Joshua he'll have stuff come up once in a while so um, but I think we might use the same um, massage therapist to come in so uh, and we might do stuff on Saturdays which is usually the day when um, some of the employees are around so so he made them aware of it, and now they seem excited about it. So it's good. So if they want, if people want to find out all the details, where should they go? Um, so they should go to our website, to the YNA website, which is yna.me, and they can see the meetup in our events section. Okay, good. It's not going to be on the Terlam website, so people can go to terlam.com to check out, you know the the information about the facility and the, and photos and such. Um, but we're keeping the two things separate. So just the YNA website has stuff about nature's days. There's a picture of a bunch of bums there. I'm just looking at it and I am thinking it's Jordan, somebody I don't know, Joshua, (laughs) you and somebody else I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, is that right? Yeah. I'm in it. Jordan's there. Um, Joshua's there. And then there's Beth Nolan, um, our our yoga instructor friend does naked yoga, and um, our friend Genevieve on the end. There you go. I know my bums. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that picture actually got me punished on Facebook again. <laughs> no, you're kidding. No. <laughs> Why? Butt cracks. <laughs> I didn't even. You, you you can't. You're not even seeing the whole bum. I know. I know. You know. You must have haters after you. Yeah, I think we do. Um, I think this actually came from. It's hard to tell with Facebook. It's actually getting very mysterious when I get like punished for something. Like sometimes they won't even like tell me what it is. But I think it was from our group, which has like over two thousand people in it, and you know, it's it's really difficult to to 
moderate the membership there. Like yeah, we try to guess from people's profiles, but with a big open group like that, you know, it's, it doesn't really surprise me, I guess. Well, I don't know if you've seen what I've done is I'm, I'm actually making fun of them because I put a big r- yellow dot over all the parts, anything that's even mildly possibly uh, <laughs> going to be a concern. And I write, censored for Facebook on each one of them. Yeah, that's what I started doing too. I, I yeah. started um, when I have like, it's getting to be a pain in the butt because um, I I post articles on the YNA website and I use a picture and if the picture happens to have any sort of taboo body part in it, I go to post it on Facebook and of course that picture comes up because it's like the yeah. link preview. And so that can get you, you know, punished on Facebook and then I have to go and find another photo to like upload that's Facebook safe. Yes. Yeah, so I'll, I just like, yeah, I, I started doing a, the same thing, making fun of them. I, I think it's, you know, it's the only thing you can't, I try to not use Facebook, but everybody's there. So if you, don't, if you don't post on Facebook, a lot of people don't see it. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm going to keep making fun of them by putting big, bright yellow dots over everything. And I think it makes a statement every time I do it that they're a bunch of prudes. And, uh, yeah, I think it does. I think it's a, a good way to go. I put, I put a black bar over the butt crack photo that says censored because Facebook wants to protect you from butt cracks. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and somehow, you know, I look at that and I think, you know, it actually seems more alluring when you put dots over it than when you don't. So I don't know that it it makes it, it achieves their purpose. It's it's more sexual in some ways when you do things like that. So but Yeah, it totally that's, is. That's, that's funny. what they want. So oh well. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else else's. going on at uh, Y and A? You got a big plans in for the summer? You're saying you're gonna be very busy. Yeah, we are. Um we just kind of planned out our summer calendar and we have all kinds of events going on at different resorts. We're going to Sunny Rest Resort in Pennsylvania. Um, we're going to be going to Gunnison Beach. And Gunnison is actually a convenient stop-off um, to Terlam. So, like, either going to or from Terlam from the city. So, um, we're looking to do kind of gunnison beach meetups where it ends at terlam or we go on saturday and then on sunday we go to terlam that kind of thing and um we're going to goodland country club which is in northern new jersey and cherry grove which is kind of an alternative to lighthouse beach on fire island Hmm. which is it's known to be like a, a nude friendly area so when you guys organize these Gunnison Beach and other trips, do you organize transport? Because a lot of people in New York don't have cars, right? Yeah, we don't. Um, we try to facilitate carpooling a lot of times, and uh, we try to offer rides ourselves. And when there is a public transportation option, we always include that. It's not always easy to do it, but um, like for the spa, for example, it's actually – not that difficult to get there um, because there's like this big train and bus station and it's only 30 minutes by train to get there. And then there's like a taxi line that you can take the rest of the way. Good. Well, I really look forward to hearing how all this went the next month. I guess you would be able to tell us how the first few Sundays went over at Terrelime, huh? Yeah. Great. Well, good luck. I, look, I, I hope I get to make it one of these days. Yeah, definitely. You should come down.
I recently announced in my blog um, that there is a geocache at Bear Oaks. Now, not everybody knows what geocaching is. Um, It's a hobby. Uh, It involves uh, using uh, GPS and and latitude and longitude to do basically a little treasure hunt. Um, A very good friend of mine, uh, Blake, uh, who I've known since uh, high school, is an avid geocacher. And at various times, you know, I... He had never been to Bear Oaks. He never tried naturism. Um, I'm always, of course, trying to convince people to try it because, you know, I think you're a better person when you do. And I think uh, I love to free and liberate people from the bonds and chains of society. He'd never gone for it. Um, and uh, But at one point, we were talking uh, about and joking about how there should be a geocache at Bear Oaks. And he, that idea seemed to pique his interest. So I kind of pushed him a little bit and... Uh, over a year ago, he put in the first geocache. It was, it was a bit of a challenge. Um, the, the challenge turned out not to be as much the uh, fact that he had to take his clothes off, but the fact that he had some difficulties in getting it registered. But let's let him tell us the story. So, what is geocaching? Geocaching is an activity that is uh, a result of the global positioning system accuracy being allowed to be used by the general public. In the early 2000, I think 2000, a guy posted a set of GPS coordinates on a news group to see if other people could find it with their GPS devices. And it consisted of a bucket buried in the ground near Portland, Oregon, I think. And when somebody found it, they thought it was a neat thing and it took off from there. People started to put more boxes and buckets in the ground. And once it got momentum, somebody, a guy named Jeremy Irish, I think, registered the geocaching.com website and collected all of the existing GPS coordinates and programmed a system to allow it to to make it much easier for people to add more coordinates and, and, and it just went from there. So geocaching is you go find things at latitude and longitude coordinates and you go find boxes of stuff. You can find anything from very large containers uh, to micro caches, which consist of a very tiny container. It's uh, a lot of people when they do interviews with newspapers and whatnot will call it high tech treasure hunting, but don't use that. That's not true. It gives the impression that when you get there, you're going to find something of value, and that's almost never the case. What do you usually find? What's in those buckets? What has to be there in the context of the rules, and I'm making air quotes here, in the guidelines for geocaching, there has to be a log for you to sign. So you can make a record that you were there and sign your name. Uh, Anything beyond that is a bonus. The principles are supposed to be that if you find something in the geocache that has value, you should trade it for something with equal value. Hmm. And do you find geocaches often? I personally f- try to find, uh, yes, personally, I find geocaches at a rate, I would say, a couple of weeks. That's, that's, that's a tough question um, because I don't cache regularly. There was a period of time when I was caching every day uh, for the purposes of achieving um, qualification for what's called a challenge geocache. And the challenge was to do a cache every day. For how long? And, sorry? Every day for how long? Uh, 366 days in a row was my record. 
Wow. And that was what the, the challenge was. I almost burned out from that. It, um, I didn't cash for a while after that. Do you find the same cash twice or is that 366 different caches? In that context, it was 366 different caches. However, there are, there are a couple of caches that I visited more than once. There's one near the airport that I visited six or seven times for the purposes of putting uh, special trade items there's a sub game within geocaching that involves what are called trackables, where there's an item that has a unique number and an associated web page that shows you where that item has been. So I collected a whole bunch of these trackable items when I was on my trip to Ottawa, for instance, and I put them all in the geocache by the airport so that they could continue their travels to places where people at airports go from. If that cool. makes sense. You might you might think that certain authorities might have a problem with things being hidden near airports and stuff, but you know, it's not in the airport. No, I know. <laughs> um, and actually, that that cache got disabled for a while because apparently somebody had dropped a gun nearby, and the Peel Regional Police were watching to see if the guy was going to come back for it. So to keep cashers from going there, the cache owner, in cooperation with the authorities, disabled the cache. Ah, oh, interesting. So, what's the appeal? Why do you do it? I think that the appeal is probably the same uh, endorphin release that gamblers get. You don't know what's going to happen, and you don't know for sure if you're going to find it, but when you do, it pushes that button in your brain that was, yeah, I got it. So, and, but, but wait, you said you go, to, you go to a coordinate and it's there. So what do you mean you can't find it? There. Okay. there are, there are diff- different difficulty ratings for caches. Some caches are very well camouflaged. You can be at a location where there's a geocache and you won't see it unless you're specifically looking for the way that it's been camouflaged. As an example, there are blank electrical plate caches. It looks like there's used to be a light res- switch there and there's a plate over it. But when you go and lift it off, it's just a magnetic plate with a log sheet behind it. Oh, okay. So it's not just outside either. I did a cache in Ottawa where the um, the title of the cache was R910.3825T5. And when you got to the coordinates that were listed for the cache, you were standing outside a library. And you went into the library to the reference section and looked up that Dewey Decimal number, and there was a book. And you opened it up, and that was the logbook. Uh, and there was hundreds of people's signatures in there. That's awesome. It was really, really cool. So what's the, what do you think is the most difficult cache to get to? There is a cache on the International Space Station. Oh, well, that that would be a challenge. There is a cache at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. These are what you would call publicity caches that they don't expect very many people to get to and were placed by people who had the money to be able to get there. Uh, I don't know if you know Lord British. I can't remember what his real name is, but he was a video game programmer who was extraordinarily wealthy and was able to space tourist his way up onto the space station and place the cache there. Hmm. Um, the most conceivably able to get to cache that I've heard of was one that was near Moussigny that was placed in 2001 and was only found last summer. Hmm. There are still caches that have been placed that have yet to be found. Uh, the next oldest one, I believe, is on an island to the west of Trinidad and Tobago that I'm trying to convince somebody to try to go to. Cool. And have you created, so you've created some of your own caches too? I have uh, 20, 
I've, in a total, I've created 26 caches. I have 22 that are still active. My very favorite cache is a series of caches, 16 different caches, each of which is named after one of the Canadian recipients of the Victoria Cross in World War II. And beyond the joy and pleasure of creating the camouflage containers, which look like branches and little stumps and things like that, I also have a listing on the cache page that lists what that person did to earn that Victoria Cross. And I get many logs uh, of appreciation for, you know, keeping these memories of these their sacrifice alive. And you have a cache at Bear Oaks. I have a cache at Bear Oaks, and that is possibly one of the most interesting experiences of placing a cache. No, I'd have to say it is the most experience, the most pleasurable experience I've had placing a cache. Very satisfying. Because you'd never tried naturism before at all, right? I had, despite uh, certain people that I know repeatedly and over the years extensively trying to get me <laughs> to go and giving the hard sell and their closers, always be closing, they were unable to convince me. Um, I, in my mind, did not have an upside to it. There was no other reason for me to do it other than the naturism itself. But like many other things that I've done for geocaching, this is, this is a reason for me to do things that are outside my comfort zone. And, and so what was the experience like? Unique. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it. Uh, like the time I went skydiving and I didn't know if I was going to jump until the guy said jump and I did. When I got to the naturism facility, it wasn't until the, I got out, was told to get out of the car and get undressed that I figured that I would be able to and did. And I'm very proud of myself for doing that. Well, that's good. And, yeah, and it's more challenging because where the cache is located is a little bit of a bug-infested area in the bush. Yes, that was something that I hadn't anticipated. Uh, jokingly, when I was trying to uh, come up for excuses not to go uh, naked in the past, it was always, how do I put on sunscreen? Ha ha. <laughs> uh, in this case, I didn't think, how do I put on bug juice? And it was the dance of slapping and and uh, don't stand still for ten seconds or more. Now, I the cache has been logged by a couple of people last year, uh, but not too many, and there's a reason for that, right? The cache is listed on a service that isn't the most numerically active geocaching service. Yeah. Unfortunately, the uh, service that has the most users on it also has the most restrictions about the types of places uh, that they will allow caches to be published on their site. And so you try to put it there and they said no. Why? Their initial reason was that they don't allow caches in commercial establishments. When I pointed out that no money would be changing hands and that anybody who was seeking the cache uh, would have free passes to get in, they then backtracked and said that they don't allow caches with what are called additional logging requirements. Um, there was a period of time where people were not allowing caches to be logged unless they put on the hat that was in the cache and took their picture, for instance. And that was silly. So they introduced the additional logging requirement rule. They twisted that rule to indicate that having to be unclothed was an additional logging requirement. When I pointed out that they, people could go there in the winter when clothes were not were, were allowed. They then backtracked and basically said that geocaching in the nude was not family friendly and that they would not publish it on their site. 
Oh, and but you, you I, did tell them that it was family friendly because we got lots of families there. I pointed out that families live there, and that I was pretty much offended that they would indicate that that it wasn't family friendly and that that was borderline prejudicial, and they didn't respond to that. Well, I guess because there was nothing they could say. <laughs> there is no response to that. So at this point, uh, it's listed where? It's listed on the uh, opencaching.ca. I can't remember which site it is now. Well, it, the cache is on opencaching.us. Uh, which that is, is correct. That's it, opencaching. Yeah. And That's the international one, apparently. Which is good. I mean, there's no reason the other one uh, is a commercial one. It's a business. So, you know, that which, which seems, you know, considering that they're all against this whole commercial side of things is kind of uh, funny because they are a commercial for profit business themselves, right? Yes, absolutely. And that seems to go against the concept of geocaching just kind of being easygoing and open and popular and not run by the man, you know? And that's their, you know, a lot of people will say, well, if you don't like it, just go list it somewhere else and enjoy both people who find it. Yeah, well, and that's what we did, unfortunately, and that's not as popular. So you, and you know, the other funny part about all this is when I search through the geocaching uh, discussion forums, there's lots of discussion about nude geocaching, whether not just places in nude environments, but people doing just normal caches nude. Yes. Yes, there's a uh, player whose handle is nude cacher, hmm. and he's always holding something strategically uh, in his cache photos. And I often wonder how he gets away with, look, he must pick some really deep wilderness caches or something like that, because it might not necessarily be in a nude friendly location where the cache is located. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, I guess he's, he's look, that's a challenge in itself, isn't it? I, um, I, I wish I had done this, but I was, and I didn't, and now I regret it, but I was over on the, I have a tradition of spending uh, one day at the end of January on a lonely frozen island. Two years ago, it was up in Manitoba. Last year, it was in, uh, the year before that, it was on Toronto Island, and this year, I went to Toronto Island, and it was almost warm enough for me to go clothing optional at the beach there and I was going to get some pictures and of me in the snow clothing optional but <laughs> it was a little cold yes it's understandable what any idea why you think people are into doing this nude geocaching why for the same reason that you would do anything else nude it's 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 exhilarating it's <laughs> um i don't it's it's hard to put it's hard to put in words it's it's really liberating it's yeah. it, you, you're unencumbered well and, and you know there's a lot of people who wouldn't ever call themselves naturists or nudists who also just go well, free hiking clothes free free hiking because it feels so good and people who are canoeing will often take off all their clothes and when they're in the middle of nowhere so um, obviously it's a it's a natural thing to feel that way once you lose this societal you know pressure that it's not cool it's the way we came into the world and it shouldn't be as much of a problem as it is unfortunately. The picture that is the theme of this show um, is of uh, Doug and Amanda. Doug is the academic uh, naturist in a blog, and he's also an avid geocacher, hence the photo that uh, he's very kindly agreed to let me use. And so I thought I would talk to him because while Blake is clearly hardcore geocacher, 
uh, Doug and Amanda are hardcore naturists, and I thought they could give us a little bit of insight into that side of geocaching. So my name is Doug. I'm also known as the academic naturist. And I'm Amanda. I'm his wife. So um, you guys are the uh, – the reason I found you is because you have the ultimate uh, naturist new geocaching photo. Uh, excellent picture, which is uh, going to be the theme photo for this podcast. Um, have you been longtime geocachers? Um, I was doing it kind of heavily for a couple of years, um, back around the 2005 to 2007 time frame. Uh, back when geocaching was still a little bit wild, I think. Um, it seems to have changed a lot over the years. And Amanda, are you also a geocacher? Yep, I love it. <laughs> Excellent. And so what's the difference between regular geocaching and new geocaching? So I know that you were trying to put a geocache in a nude facility, um, which is definitely a brave and apparently challenging task. <laughs> um, we sort of took a different approach of finding regular geocaches, but trying to do it in the nude. Um, and there's a lot of good hiking trails in Wisconsin. A lot of them had geocaches or still have geocaches. And so it's a little bit of a challenge to find, you know, a right, a good trail that would be good for nude hiking and a time when maybe it's not so busy. Um, really got to do your research on some of these before you can attempt it. But we certainly have pulled it off. Um, there's also a couple other places that I've been looking at doing the same thing, but we just haven't yet. Yeah, well, you're certainly not the only nude geocachers. When you look online, you find a lot of discussions about nude geocaching. And I, so I assume a lot of people are geocaching nude, but not necessarily in naturist or nudist facilities. Well, I have seen a number of geocaches that encourage nudity that are like on private land that's secluded enough or, um, you know, places that typically see nudists coming around. Um, I did spend some time in Australia, and one thing that I picked up uh, as living in Townsville for about five months as part of my master's degree, and one thing that I picked up is they like to put geocaches near nude beaches over there, the unofficial nude beaches. So you could certainly do some nude geocaching over there if you wanted to. You know, it's it's interesting because there's a lot of people who would never call themselves nudists or naturists, but like to hike nude, uh, like to do nude geocaching. A lot of in-nature nudity seems to be a- appealing to people. Do you have any thoughts why that may be? Because you're obviously people who enjoy the nature side of things. So one thing that I do like to point out, uh, a little bit of writing that Mark Story has done in the past, he said that for anyone new to it, if you go out on a trail somewhere um, in a secluded place and you take off all your clothes and you walk like 100 yards down the trail, he says, by the time you get back to your clothes, you will have had an epiphany that will change your life. And that does seem to be true because you can hike in shorts and a t-shirt or whatever. It's just not the same as getting all your clothes off and going for a hike down the trail. It just, 
it feels way better to do that. So if somebody wants to try new geocaching, let's say they've never even tried geocaching, and but because they like being new to nature, this is a fun excuse to get out there. What would you recommend? Go to an area for the first time where it doesn't have brush. <laughs> okay. But doesn't brush provide a little bit of cover? It does, but in Wisconsin we have this thing called burdocks. And briars and all kinds of things that like to poke into you. It can be very painful on bare skin. So oh. the picture that you're putting up, the location of that geocache is actually hidden in a whole bunch of brush. And I'm not sure if I mentioned it in the log that I wrote um, or if it was in the story in N Magazine about it. But we did have to wear clothes to get that geocache out just because it was in thick brush that was kind of prickly. <laughs> <laughs> When I look for trails, I try to find ones with just a single entry point um, and trails that are secluded. You kind of have to walk down them once to know how secluded they actually are. Um, but you kind of have to find the quiet trails. Uh, one thing that we like to do personally is put a sign at the end of the trail just in case the rare chance that someone else wants to uh, hike down the trail that we don't really cause shock or whatever. Um, and that has happened to us. Uh, the geocache uh, picture that you have, when we've gone nude hiking there, uh, one time we did meet a person on the trail <laughs> and we kind of met them in a bad way because they were on the other side of a uh, shrub or a tree. And we kind of had to ask, you did see the sign, right? <laughs> um, before we could, you know, walk by him. It was hunting season, and the poor guy was dressed in camo and sweating from head to toe. And he said, yeah, I saw the sign. I wish I could join you. <laughs> at the time, it was, at the time, I think it was in the upper 90s. Wow. So he was definitely warm. So, so nobody has been offended by what you've done no not yet i can't say that we've met a lot of people on the trails but you know the one or two that we've seen haven't been offended so the um you guys said you're in wisconsin where's wisconsin wisconsin is about in the middle of the u.s kind of way towards the top uh almost to canada but not quite and is it a good place for naturists um, the southern portion is probably a little more dense than the northern portion. I'd say the northern portion is really good for naturists because there's all kinds of wilderness up there. Um, but there is kind of a hot spot for naturism in Wisconsin because there's several clubs around, plus there's a place called Mazo Beach. Sure. Well, I've heard of Mazo Beach. Oh, yeah. It's the only clothing optional beach pretty much in the Midwest. And is it tolerated by the authorities? Is it officially designated? What, it, what status does it have? Um, you won't get cited for nudity because the district attorney throws out any nudity cases because it's recognized as a traditional nude sunbathing area. Um, it's not legally recognized as a nude beach, but it's like a pseudo-legal 
And it's it's on DNR land, so it is state-owned land. And how are the clubs doing in Wisconsin? Are they successful? Are they growing? Are they shrinking? We have a very short season to enjoy summer. <laughs> we have maybe three months, and all the rest of the time it's either winter or getting winter. <laughs> but those, those three months are big, though. Uh, a tiny little club that we frequent is called Valley View Recreation Club. They have a huge car show every August um, that usually attracts about 500 people and usually about 40 or so cars. Um, and they make a whole weekend of it with all kinds of activities and lots of stuff going on, lots of food. It's a fun time. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, it sounds like fun. See, it's it, naturists are everywhere. You know, small population, large populations. It is always seems to be a way to find something and some place and people with like-minded who get together. It's good. And the academic naturist, that's you, or is it both of you? It's him mostly. Okay. Do you ever write anything, Amanda? Um, no, because it's my. Well, you've written it. She's written a few posts. Um, there's one about top freedom in there, like going bra free. And oh yeah, I'm very <laughs> supportive of that one. She's, she's written a few things in there. And so, what was the uh, what was the impetus behind the, that blog? Why why did you start it? Well. I was fairly new into naturism at that time, um, sort of inspired by New Diarist, uh, the Diary of a Nudist. Um, and I enjoy writing. I enjoy, well, academia. <laughs> I got my master's degree and had a lot of fun doing it, so kind of wanted to stay sharp like that. Um, and as like I said, as part of my master's degree, I spent five months over in Australia and I was blogging during that trip. <clears throat> so after I got back from Australia, um, I kind of wanted to keep writing, but I was starting to explore naturism at the same time. So figured I'd put a blog up and it's still there and still active. That's great. What's, and what is an academic naturist? Well, it's what it's the name that I gave the blog, um, primarily because I wanted to do more like research type of things on it. So the blog is somewhat twofold. Part of it is doing research, um, and the other part of it was blogging about my experience or our experience in the social naturism, which we did for about seven years, uh, pretty much. Every social naturist trip that we took is logged on there. So seven, you're saying that like it's in the past. Are you not continuing to do that? Uh, it is in the past. I decided to end that about a year or two ago. Um, it's actually very, very difficult to write like that because it often uh, you often run into people who want to keep things secret. <laughs> yes. And it's it's a very, very touchy subject to write a story when a lot of the people want to keep it a secret. <laughs> um, so there's no names on the blog. Uh, everyone's anonymous. And I try to write it in such a way to be um, fair and not reveal identities or anything. But the story is still there and the story is still genuine. 
Well, your latest theme seems to be about starting a naturist club. Yes, it does. Did a lot of research in that. <laughs> um, it's certainly a business opportunity. Uh, not really one I can pursue at the moment, but given enough time, I'm sure I will pursue that path. Well, it's, you're asking for somebody, uh, uh, you're looking for investors from what I'm reading. Well, that's part of it. <laughs> so it sounds like oh. a pretty strong desire. Are you, uh, do you have the same desire, Amanda? Oh, yes. I'm, we're hoping to retire when he's 40, I'm 30, and <laughs> you know, in a couple of years. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't have that age difference at the moment. I don't think that'll work. <laughs> I, I, I hope you don't think that owning a naturist club is retirement, because let me tell you, it's not. <laughs> no, but it was a little joke there. Um, no, but as a naturist, I believe it would be beneficial to have a naturist friendly area like in Chicago as a as he yeah. was an urban oasis mm-hmm. because some people can't really get away into the country and an urban oasis is uh accessible easy to get to <laughs> yeah is an easy to get to area where if you just want to go for the day there you go Trust me, all my ideas are on the blog. <laughs> they are on the blog, and uh, yes, I, I I feel like I have to draw it a bit out of you, like you're, but you've publicly uh, stated all this. So, um, yeah, it, it is. You're suggesting a naturist club in an urban environment. Uh, how else would it be different? I have some ideas. Well, so tell us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like for example. In the country, you have the freedom to walk outside your door naked. And where we live, we had that opportunity. But in the city, you'd get arrested immediately. Most places, yes. (laughs) So, for example, Chicago, Illinois, in the U.S., is a good spot because it has a large diversity and you have plenty. It's a place that's always changing. So you have opportunity for a building to revamp it into a nature's friendly building. So would it be mostly indoors? Yes. And for like you could have a top you could have a rooftop where you could do a gardening and you could be eco-friendly for on the rooftop because you get a lot of sun and it could be garden friendly to naturists. That is one thing that I pointed out in my writing. It's almost a requirement that you have to have sunshine uh, that people can lay out in, I think, in order for a urban venue like that to succeed. I don't, I don't think it'd be much fun if it was completely indoors because um, you sort of have some of that already with like bowling parties and hotel takeover parties. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, water and sun seems to be kind of a key element to pretty much all naturist experiences that last anyway. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> so, and, and you're thinking of doing it in Chicago? Well, any decent-sized city, I think. Um, Chicago, obviously, doesn't have any venue like that currently, so there's certainly opportunity there. Um, we do have some friends in Chicago that I'm sure would help us out, too. Um, Amanda would be the perfect front desk lady. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so what do you need? There's, there's a bunch of listeners to this show. What do you want? What kind of person do you want as your partner? Oh, that's really hard to say. <laughs> that's a difficult question to answer. 
a go-getter. With money. <laughs> yes, it'd be appreciated. <laughs> So if you want to uh, find a geocache, there's a link in the notes, uh, the show notes. And uh, if you want to read about the academic naturists, there'll be a link to that as well, um, as well as the blog where I put all the details about the uh, Baroque's geocache. So that's all for this episode of the Naturist Living Show. Thank you, as always, for listening. Again, my name is Stéphane Deschain, and I'm your host for this podcast and the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park in East Quillenberry, Ontario, Canada. You can find links to all the items I mentioned in the show notes on the website at naturistliving, one word, dot Bear Oaks, B-A-R-E, of course, bearoaks.ca. Please keep sending your comments and suggestions. Always appreciate getting them. Uh, the show's email address is still naturistliving, one word, at, this time, bareoaks.ca, B-A-R-E, bareoaks.ca, because we are in Canada. And of course, as I've announced in previous shows, you can now leave a voice comment, too. Um, and I haven't received any. I'm looking forward to somebody. Don't, I, I love getting the emails, don't get me wrong, but it would be so much more interesting if listeners could actually hear your voice telling the comment or asking the question, and then we can answer them on the show. So please call and leave a comment. You can take as many tries as you want, and you can even delete it if you're not happy at the end. Um, and I'm not saying I can promise that I can use it, uh, but I will for sure listen to it. And uh, if it's interesting uh, to our listeners, um, if I, if uh, it's appropriate, then we'll definitely include it in the show. So the phone number is... Uh, Country code 1 if you're outside of North, uh, of, uh, North America, or just 1 if you're calling long distance in North America. 905-473-6060, extension 333. And that, by the way, is also the Bear Oaks uh, main line. So it's a, it's a voice mailbox on the Bear Oaks uh, phone system. You can call toll-free in North America at 1-888-373-9124. Again, extension 333. And if you have Skype, you just Skype Bear Oaks, one word, B-A-R-E-O-A-K-S. And that puts you again in our phone system. And then you dial once again, extension 333. Join us again in about a month for the next episode of The Naturist Living Show. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. Traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social, and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bearoaks.ca. Thank you.